Amen. Well, I'd say you can be seated, but you are. And uh, I don't know about you, but I am so blessed by that worship. And it's great to have Elena back from being gone for the summer. And uh, thank you guys for leading us in worship. I'm going to ask you guys to find a Bible and turn to Psalm 56. Psalm 56, as we continue in our series in Psalms. I've titled this message, Trouble, Trust, and Thankfulness. And when you read this text, you'll see. One of the things I realize, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you will have trouble. You will have trials. You will have tribulation. You will have times of fear. Scripture speaks of it over and over again. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world you will have tribulation. Not you might, but you will. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says to Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. James said in James 1, 2, Count it all trials, my, uh, count it all joy, my brothers, when you experience various trials. Not if, but when. The fact is, as Christians, we will face times of trouble. It's not if, it's when. So the question is, how will we respond to those times? How will we trust the Lord in it? How will we grow? Psalm 56 shows us. It's a psalm of David. It was, a time, it was written in a time where he was alone, he was in despair, and he was in fear. He was afraid. Yet it's a psalm that can encourage us because it's about faith and trust in the midst of difficult times. So this is what we learn. And if you're taking notes, you can put this in your notes. I'll put it on the screen. A believer can have confidence and trust, or confidence to trust the Lord, even in the midst of horrific circumstances. A believer can have confidence to trust in the Lord, even in the midst of horrific circumstances. You're looking at somebody that has had to live that. I went through about a three-year period where our family experienced tragedy after tragedy. Yet, I was able to find solace, especially in this psalm. You see how David is resolved to trust in the Lord, even in the midst of difficulty. Let's read this together. Follow along as I I read it. To the choir master, according to the dove on far-off terebinths. Not really sure what that means. And then he says, a mictum of David. That's a musical more likely a musical term, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. We'll come to that, back to that. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their 
thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. When David wrote this, he was relatively young, but he was growing in his faith. He was maturing in his faith, and we learn about a maturing believer. First of all, we learn that a maturing believer will have trouble. A maturing believer will have trouble. Now, when you read the superscription, it points us to the time when this took place. What caused David to write this? He says, the Philist- it's a time when David, when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. If you remember from our uh, study of 1 Samuel, that takes you back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. In fact, I'm going to ask you to hold your finger in Psalm 56 and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21. It's about halfway between the beginning and where you are. Just go back beyond Job, beyond Esther and Nehemiah and Ezra go back beyond Chronicles and Kings, and you get into Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And this is where we find out that David was alone, that he was desperate, and that he was afraid. First of all, he was alone. Look at verse 10. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, Just a little bit of a reminder of what's going on there. Saul was the first king of Israel, but but he blew it. And so the kingdom was torn away from him, and, and God, through Samuel, had anointed him as king. But it took 13 years until he took over the kingdom. And it was during that time that this is written. And at first, David was brought into the court of the of King Saul. This was after he had defeated Goliath. But then what happened is a distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul and he did everything he could to to destroy David. And this we find David running and he first goes to Nob where the priests are. And that's where he gets some bread and he gets a sword, a sword that had belonged to Goliath. And then it says in verse 10, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. He was alone He had no soldiers, no weapons. But not only was he alone, he was desperate. Look at verse 11. And the servants of Achish said to him, now, Gath is in the region of the Palestines, uh, uh, of of the Philistines. So he had left Israel and he had gone into the land of the arch enemies, the Philistines, which was bad enough. But then he goes into the town of Gath. Now, you know, remember who's from Gath? The big guy. Goliath. 
He was the one. He was the hometown hero. He was the one that everybody loved. Yet he was killed in battle. Who killed him? David. And now we find David goes back into Gath. He's, he's running. He's desperate. He's alone. It says, the servants of Achish said to him, Achish being the king, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. They, they, they said that after David had defeated Goliath. I mean, it would only be a desperate man who would go into the land of the enemy. But not only go into the land of the enemy, but the hometown of the man that he had defeated, who everybody loved, And we find out that David's got a sword on his side. But whose sword is it? It's Goliath's sword. I mean, he was desperate. How else could you explain walking into the town of a local hero to which you have killed? In fact, Derek Kidner says this. To have fled from Saul to Gath of all places, the hometown of Goliath, took the courage of despair. I love that. The courage of despair. He was alone. He was, af- he, was, he was desperate. And third, he was afraid. Look at verse 12. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in, the, in, in their hands and, and made marks on the doors of the gates and let his spittle run down his beard. You know you're desperate when that happens. Then Achish said to the servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Well, that was actually for David's protection because it was considered a bad omen if you killed a crazy man. And so we see then that David departed from there. He left from there. But that then brings us back to Psalm 56. And notice what it says. He wrote this at the time when the Philistines seized him in Gath. They had seized him. He was afraid. It was a time of fear. As many of you know, fear can be an all-consuming emotion. If you've ever struggled with it, it could be so dominating that you do things you don't want to be doing or you don't do things that you know that you should. There's really two types of fear in the Bible. One is when you have an, kind of an awe of God, a reverential fear of God. But that's not the type of fear he had. This was a fear caused by circumstances around him. It was a fear that caused terror, can produce timidity and and, and cowardice. Many times it's a lack of moral strength, but more often than not, it's due to a lack in trust in God's will. Fear can be caused by a lot of different things. It can be caused by uncertainty. It could be caused by death and calamity. It could be caused by actions of other people or, or, or forces of nature. Fear can come and go, but the fact is, it can also dominate us. And David had reason to fear. And so we see this prayer starting in verse 1. He cries out to God. The only thing that he can, can do, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. 
My enemies trample on me all day long. David was outnumbered. Saul's army was after him. Now the Philistines wanted him. Yet he looks to the God that outnumbers all of his enemies. In fact, it reminds me of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Hezekiah, when he's, he, the nation is surrounded by all these enemies, and he prays this incredible prayer. He says, Lord, I don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And that's a great prayer. When you're in fear. So, why was he afraid? Well, let me show you three ways he was afraid. First of all, or three reasons. First of all, the, the, they're dogging his steps. Notice what it says. Three different times it says, all day long an attacker oppresses me. At verse 2, and my enemies trample on me all day long. In fact, back down in verse 5, all day long they injure my cause. The attack on him was relentless. It was all day, every day, wave after wave. He couldn't get away from it. There was no rest from their pursuit. That word trample, it means to crush. This was a crushing experience for David. In fact, at the end of verse 2, it says, all day long an attacker oppresses me. That word oppress, it it means to squeeze. And you and I started thinking about, anybody have a a lemon squeezer in their house? Like like you put put a half of a lemon in it and then you, you just squeeze it. It's like a vice and just all the juice comes out. That's what David is feeling right now. All you got left over is just the rind and whatever's left in there, and it's just not worth a whole lot. David is, is crushed. He's being oppressed. Some of you have experienced times like that. And not only was the, this attack relentless, but notice what it says. He says, for many attack me proudly. It was, it, was, it was just relentless attack by many people. He was running for his life. And they were doing it with pride. There was arrogance. So, so not only were they dogging his steps, but secondly, they were twisting his words. Look at verse 5. It says, all day long they injure my cause. Now some of you may have a, a, uh, a textual note down at the bottom of your page. And a better translation would be, all day long they twist my words. Have you ever had your words twisted? People say, well, I believe this is what you meant. What were they twisting his words about? They were were saying he wanted to to destroy King Saul. Over and over again, he proved his loyalty to King Saul, but Saul could not let himself go. He, he, He had these visions of David trying to destroy him. He was convincing everybody around him. There was this propaganda machine that was going against him, and propaganda can do great harm. And notice what it says at the end of verse 5. He says, all their thoughts are against me for evil. Now, did he know that? Well, probably not. But when you get so consumed with what's going on around you, when you're so overwhelmed with fear, your imagination can run wild. That's what's going on with David here. As far as he's concerned, everyone, all of their thoughts are against him for evil. Everyone is against me. How often are we concerned with what others are thinking about us? The reality is, are they? Probably not. 
Because they're so concerned about what you're thinking about them that they don't have time to think about you. So we can all relax because nobody's probably thinking about you because they're all thinking about what others think about them. So they don't have time to think about you. And I believe that's what's kind of going on with David right now. He's just worked this up in his mind. He's, he's paralyzed about it. Now, now, the third thing that we see, not only were they, they, they dogging his steps, they were twisting his words, but they were plotting his death. Look at verse 6. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. I mean, this was a life and death situation. What David was sensing was real. People were trying to kill him. Notice what it says. They stir up strife. They lurk. I love that word. Lurk. Don't name your child lurk. He's a lurker. It's it's the idea to lie in wait. It reminds me of of 1 Peter 5, verse 8. That your enemy, Satan, is like a roaring lion prowling around seeking whom he might destroy. This is what David is going through. There's, this, there's these, these people that are lurking. They're lying in wait to destroy him, to kill him. Like a predatory animal does its prey. It's similar to what the Pharisees were doing with Jesus. We see that in, 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 in Luke chapter 11 where they were, they were trying to, to just wait for him to say something so they could arrest him, so they could destroy him. In the midst of this, David now moves into an imprecatory prayer. Look at verse 7. For their crime will they escape. You can see him starting to look up towards the Lord. And he prays, in wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You could just see, he gets, you get a glimpse of his trust in praying for God's judicial wrath against mankind that is against them, against sinners. Now here's what we have to understand. David was a man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord. But even in the midst of that, he had trouble. A maturing believer will have trouble. Well, secondly, a maturing believer grows in trust. A maturing believer will not only have trouble, but they'll grow in trust. Even in the midst of horrific circumstances, David's growth in trusting God was dynamic. Three areas where his trust was growing. First of all, his trust in God. Look at verse 3. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I don't know if you have that marked in your Bibles, But that's a good one to mark right there. When I'm afraid, when I'm in fear, when I don't know what to do, I trust in you. You could just see the resolve in his heart. He may not have felt like it, but this is what I'm doing. It reminds me of this. It's like when Luther said, here I stand. He's saying, I'm not going to fear you. put my trust in you. David was a man with a deep-rooted love for the Lord. It was developed by spending time with the Lord, spending time in his word. This is faith speaking. 
David experienced this when he, he, he destroyed the bear. He, 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 he depended on the Lord when he, when he uh, came up against the, the lion. And we see that when he killed Goliath. He boldly proclaims his trust in God despite his fear. The fact is, we can both fear and trust at the same time. Listen to what Spurgeon says. It is possible for fear and faith to occupy the mind at the same moment. It is a blessed fear which drives us to trust. A blessed fear when... when a fear knowing that God is all-powerful. Unregenerate fear drives from God. Gracious fear drives to God. If I fear man, I only have to trust God and I have the best antidote. It's as if David is saying, at times when I'm afraid, I'm going to trust God to do what is right. I think that's important to remember. There's going to be times when we fear, but it doesn't mean that that's an excuse not to do what's right. In fact, he doesn't wait for the fear to stop to do what is right. He gets after it. He puts his trust in God. This is the best antidote to fear. It's to focus on the Lord. In fact, 1 John 4, 18 says this, perfect love casts out fear. David a man after God's own heart who, who spent time, lots of time, with the Lord. Developed this deep love for the Lord. He knew he could turn to the Lord. It's that love for the Lord that casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. See, a love for God moves us to a trust in God. I don't know about you guys. I'm not big on coyotes. Uh, Coyotes can be scary creatures. One day, Pam was out walking our dogs. And we were house-sitting a house. And Pam was walking. She had flip-flops on. And all of a sudden, one of our dogs went off into this kind of a dark area by a house. And two coyotes grabbed this dog around the neck. Now, normally Pam would have a healthy fear of coyotes, but they had her baby. And Pam goes after these dogs in her flip-flops, after these coyotes. I mean, literally running after these coyotes, wanting to throw her flip-flops at them. There was no fear. See, perfect love casts out fear. Her love for those dogs pushed out the fear. It's the same thing with, a, with a, a, a parent with a child. See, perfect love casts out fear. It is in that moment that you turn your heart towards your, your, the, the affection of your love that it pushes away the fear. Love is the force that overpowers fear. That's why, that's why Timothy, uh, Paul said to Timothy in, in first Timothy, or 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. In fact, I'll put Psalm 27 on the screen, 20 verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, 
but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That was David. He put his trust in the Lord in that moment. It is love for God and love for others that helps us to remove fear. David, out of love of God, makes a conscious effort to decide to put his trust in the Lord. See, so often what we can do is we put our trust in everything but the Lord. And that's where we're going to get disappointed. But David, he's, he's resolved. He, he says, I put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. That word trust is used three different times. He is setting his heart on the right response. Verse 3, verse 4, and 11, I trust you. His trust in God pushes fear away. And then notice what he says in verse 4. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Then he says, what can flesh do to me? What can man do to me? We all know, a lot. All you have to do is read the newspapers. Or most people don't read the newspaper anymore. All you have to do is, is read stories on the internet. And man can do a lot. That's not what David's saying here. David's saying, in light of God's redemption, whatever man does to me is just a small thing. Has no power in in eternity. See, he has a a God-centered view of the world, not a man-centered view of the world. When you have a God-centered view, it changes everything. You can say, what can man do to me? Not a whole lot. It's a declaration that no man can overthrow God's providential will. He believes in the providence of God. In fact, I just got done reading uh, the biography of uh, Martin Luther by Eric Metaxas. And uh, he, uh, when Martin Luther found out that both the emperor and the pope wanted to destroy him, I mean, this is at the you know, at the, at the end of the Roman Empire. This was, this was a big deal because of his stand against the abuses in the church. He, he, said, he said this, I care for neither of them. I know whom I've trusted. That's powerful. See, perfect love casts out fear. His love, his deep love for the Lord pushed out fear. Luther had such a high view of God, such a deep love for God, that he was not concerned what man could do to him. This is a sign of a maturing believer. They grow in the trust of God. Secondly, they grow in trust in God's word. They grow in trust in God's word. Notice what you see again in verse 4. He says, in God whose word I praise You see it again in verse 10. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. David had this growing confidence in God's word. His faith was not a blind faith. It was an informed faith. His faith was based on the revealed character and nature of God through Scripture. That's why you hear us talking about over and over again, open up the Scriptures. We we have the Scriptures. God has revealed himself to us. He has told us everything we need to know about him. He has told us everything we need to know about having eternal life. He has dealt with every issue we need to understand. He has given us the wisdom and the Holy Spirit as believers. We just need to open it up. 
The fact is, apart from God's word, we don't know. We don't truly know God. And we don't truly know what he has promised to do. And it can't happen apart from spending time with him. You deepen your love for the Lord by growing in your relationship with Him and growing in your trust of Him by spending time in His Word. The more time you spend in His Word, the deeper your love. Perfect love casts out fear. A maturing believer grows in their trust of God's Word. Look at verse 8. He says, you have can't kept count of my tossings put my tears in your in your bottle are they not written in your book then my enemies will turn back in that day when i call what what david is saying he's saying he understood god enough to know that god knew everything about him he's he knew that god he would just take his tears and put them in a bottle and keep them for a, a later time everything about him is written in a book the fact is there will be a day we stand before the lord and the lord opens up a book of our lives and we give an account of our lives. David had such a deep trust in the Lord based on his understanding of God and his word. His fear was pushed away. Are they not in your book? He understood that God was all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. God knows everything about us. He knows every word, every prayer, every feeling, every frustration, every fear. He's recorded them in the book. See, David is speaking in faith here, and it activates more faith. Look at verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back in that day when I call. This I know that God is for me. This I know that God is for me. David, because of his relationship with the Lord, because of, of God's word, he knew that God is for him. God is not against him. If you're in Christ, God is for you. This is a promise that he trusts. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know that God is for you. He's not against you. How do I know that? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 tells us that. Look what it says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What's the answer? No one. But why is God for us? How do we know that? Verse 32 says... He did not spare his own son. God the Father sent God the Son into this world to die on the cross to take the wrath for our sins because God is a just God. He did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he also not give him, uh, also with him give graciously, um, uh, give us all things? David had absolute confidence God was on his side. He resolves to trust God, which pushed away his fear. Look at verse 11. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? He says it twice. In fact, the writer of Hebrews records that in Hebrews 13, 6. What can man do to me? Nothing. Because I trust God deeply. We can have that same confidence. So trust in God. Trust in God's word. But third, trust in God's deliverance. Trust in God's deliverance. His, his trust grew 
and in God's deliverance. Look at verse 12. He says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. And then here it is. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Notice the tense of the verb in verse 13. For you have delivered my soul. Past tense, completed action. In David's mind, it was good as done. And the fact is, often our confidence comes when we pray. Why? Because it's a submission to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're we're submitting to, to, to God. We're no longer looking horizontal, but we're looking vertical. We're saying, I can't, Lord, but you can. There's no greater confidence than knowing that your soul has been delivered from God's wrath. That is the confidence that the cross gives us. At the cross, justice and mercy meet. That's why the cross is so important to a believer in Jesus Christ. Because it is at the cross that we have been delivered. The Bible tells us that we're all, we're all sinners and our sin has put us under God's wrath. And there's nothing we can do to solve that issue other than what Christ has done for us. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he became the perfect lamb, died on the cross in our place. And in that moment, for those that surrender their lives to Christ, we receive God's mercy. Justice and mercy meet at the cross. And David with confidence says, you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. It's an amazing thing. It is this confidence in God's deliverance that allows all of us to be able to say, verse 11, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Why? Because you have delivered me from death. I trust in your deliverance. David understood why God had spared his life. Look at verse, the end of verse 12, 13. He says, that I may walk before God in the light of life. It's a reminder that when we are saved, he doesn't just automatically take us to heaven, but we now walk in the light of life. It's a reminder that Jesus is the light of the world. He is the life that we are called to live. A maturing believer will have trouble a maturing believer grows in trust third maturing believer expresses thankfulness maturing believer expresses thankfulness look at verse 12 remember this is david he's on the run he's alone he's desperate he's he's in fear and listen to what he says in verse 12 I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. Recognizing God's deliverance, God's care, God's concern, David has a thankful heart. He's on the run, but his fear turned to faith. His terror has turned to trust because he knew that God was for him. And his response, it's thankfulness. He's a maturing believer, and he's, he's growing in thankfulness to God. Why? Because he knows that God is good. He's merciful. He's, he's all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. He's gracious. He's loving. 
And David has resolved in his heart to perform the sacrifices to the Lord in thankfulness for what God has done for him. And even though he's away from the altar, he has made a vow, I am not going to forget. I am going to live in thankfulness to the Lord. See, David's focus is no longer on his circumstances, but on his Savior. Listen, we're going to go through times of great fear. But we have a greater God. That's how we move from fear to faith, from terror to trust. By looking at our all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God. So how do we move from fear to faith? Let me end with this. First of all, it's a process. It's a process. In fact, you see in, in, with, with David, verses you know, 1 and 2, he's like, He's talking about the, the plight that he's going through. And then in verse his three and four, he confirms his faith. But then he drops back in verse five and he talks about his plight again. And then verse eight, he, he, he reaffirms his faith. So it's a process. And there's going to be times where we're going to struggle in our faith. And we've got to say, God, give me the faith I need to trust what you say, to trust your word. It's like the centurion, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's a process, but secondly, it takes prayer. It, it takes prayer. D David, the first thing he does, be gracious to me, oh God. He's praying to God here. See, when we pray, all of a sudden, we're surrendering. We're looking up. We're not looking out. It takes prayer. Third, it takes resolve. It takes resolve. When I'm afraid, verse 3, I put my trust in you. He resolved. He's not going to come off of that. Fourth, it takes dependence. Submitting to the Holy Spirit, the power that we have in us, it takes dependence upon the Lord. Let me ask you, are you struggling with fear? Trust in God. Trust in His Word. Trust in His, his, his uh, deliverance. Express your thankfulness to Him. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And let me just say this. If, if you are struggling with fear, and it happens, pray. Pray for God to give you the faith to believe what he says. Turn towards Jesus. Perfect love casts out all fear. Marinate his word. And you'll find yourself saying, verse 11, In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Father, we thank you for your word. 
And just a reminder that we don't have to live in fear, but we can live in faith and trust in you. Yes, I know that we will have trials and tribulations in this world. But Lord, you have said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Lord, help us to, to proclaim your promises, even as we sing, that you are good, your ways are good. Father, give us the faith to live in a way that brings glory to you. And I, if I pray, if there's anyone here that has never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray today they would surrender all they are to you. And if anyone's been away from you, Lord, I pray that they would recommit to you today for your glory, for their good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.